Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. In this week's episode, we have a guest speaker. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. First of all, guys, it's awesome to be here. Well done to the worship team. I don't want to talk. I just want to do more worship. It's like, oh, do I have to speak? So it's good to be here. Good to talk to you. Um, I come from Iran, uh, from a Christian family. So I was born as a Christian, as a Syrian. I'm not going to tell you who Assyrians are. You all are Bible study. Like you've studied the Word of God, so you know who Assyrian are. And yes, we still do exist. We still um, we speak Aramaic, so uh, language of Jesus, different um, dialect. Um, I was um, born into a Christian family. My parents were pastors and church pioneers. So my father pioneered churches all over the country in Iran. Um, we ministered in the beginning mainly for Assyrian-speaking people in the country. And later on, we changed to Farsi uh, against our free will. It was um, what, what God asked us to do. I, to- I told him, look, if you, if you don't stop me, I'm going to talk. I have to Is that look at you. Okay. Um, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, um, Can you continue? What's it like? Because a number of us will be thinking about where God's calling us, potentially into church ministry, church leadership. What's it like to be a church leader, a pastor in Iran? Because you have a special experience of that. All right, that's right. So let me take a step back. You have to stop me. Because I'm starting to tell stories. Please keep going, please keep going. So uh, when I was a teenager, God told my family to open the church to the Muslims. Um, We were having a semi-successful church service for the Assyrians. We went through many hardships. It the hardship had gone down. We had started to be stable. Assyrians were coming back to the church. Um, our family was doing just about okay. When God opened his mouth and said, open the church to the Muslims. And of course, we're like, are you kidding? No, no, no. We just got to be okay-ish. So we went back to our Assyrian members and we said, well, God is saying, open the church and speak in Farsi. So conduct your meetings in Farsi, and I said, we're going to leave. And the first person who left was my uncle um, and my own relative. So we, we said no to God, and that's the first mistake. Never say no to God, because he's going to win anyway. He's going to do his way. So what God did was uh, one Wednesday, a man came to our church, and he said, I need to speak to a doctor. And we were like, look, this is a church building. It's not a hospital, and we don't have a doctor. He said, no, a doctor gave me your address. I need to talk to a doctor. So we asked him what's, what's wrong, what's going on. And he, had, he has three children. His oldest son, who was seven years old back then, had a brain tumor. And the brain tumor had grown so much that the doctors couldn't operate on him anymore. And told the father, look, we, we cannot touch him. Whatever we do is going to get worse. Take your son home. Let him play with his siblings. Let him die in peace. So in the morning, as the father is signing up the form, so release form for his son, a white-looking doctor goes to him. And I say white-looking because that's going to be your clue for the rest of the stories. And tells him, don't worry, your son's not going to die. He's going to be fine. Go to this address. Tell them I've sent you. Now, there's no name. He didn't give him a name. They know me. Just go there 
and tell them, I've sent you, they know what to do. Your son's going to be fine. So how did that man look like? He was white. And other descriptions, no, he was just very white. Bright, that's I think what they're trying to say. So we said, look, as you can see, this is a church. We are not hospital, but we have the best doctor. And his name is Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray in his name. Go back to the hospital. Lay on your son's bed. Pray the same prayer that we are praying right now. And then have him checked. So prayed in Jesus' name. He went back to the hospital. They came on Friday. He, his wife, his children, her family, so her brother and sister, his side of the family, plus the whole aunts and uncles, about 30 people on the minibus came to the church. Now his wife is the member of the parliament for education. So she comes to the church and to this day, I've never dared to call her with her first name. So to this day, I still don't dare to call her with the first name. So she came covered up in hijab into the church and said, I don't know your God. I don't know your Jesus. I know what he did to my son. And for that reason, I believe in him. Her son is healed. He's 25, 26-year-old today. He's done university. He's, he's good. So one day, 30 people came to the church. We had another guy coming to the church who was in a car accident. His, got, his car was flipping. And he saw a hand. We just grabbed the car turn it around and put it correctly on the, on, on, on the street. And he said, I know, I know in my heart, that wasn't Ali, Muhammad, Hassan, Hussein, one of the imams. I know that it was Jesus. Don't ask me how I knew because I didn't see a face. I didn't hear a voice. I just knew in that moment, that's Jesus. He saved me. We had a mother coming to the church. I promise I'm going to stop after this. And, and she said, um, she had a, back then, she had a three-year-old daughter, and she was uh, cooking, making tea. And by the way, this is a proper tea. This is Iranian tea. We're not talking about your British tea. So she's making a real, real tea. If I would ever come back, I'll make you some tea. And you can tell me the difference. So she's, she's boiling water in a kettle, goes away, and the little girl, the three-year-old girl, goes to the kitchen, she holds and grabs the kettle and pours hot water all over her face and she burns herself. As soon as the mother sees that, she was on the phone, she drops the phone and she says, I don't know why in the Quran, the only prophet who done miracles is Jesus. The only prophet who can do any, any supernatural, has a supernatural ability is Jesus. So in that moment, she screams, Jesus Christ, help me. She grabs the girl, goes to the hospital, they put bandage on her face, cream her face. In the middle of the night, doctor comes in. What kind of a doctor? The Y doctor. Comes in, takes off the bandage. The mother wakes up and she said, no, the, 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 the bandages are new. They will come at 7 o'clock in the morning to change the bandages. Please don't touch them. Doctor says, yeah, you called me. No, I didn't call the doctor. <laughs> yes, you did. You said, Jesus Christ, help me. I'm here to help you. She wakes up in the morning. The doctors come, they take off the bandages. The face of the girl is as baby's skin can be, completely healed. We had people coming, and, and day after day after day, university students, teachers, professors, imam, people from the parliament, women from the parliament who came to the church with a hidden Bible, and they showed us the Bible and said, is this the real one? Or it's the one that they changed. 
That's the real one. I've been reading it. That's good. We've had people, we had Imam come into the church and they, they, they have the Quran. They say, the Quran tells me if I have question, I should go to the people of the Bible. So I'm here, I have question. We had, okay, I'm going to start with this one. So, so there you go. So there you go. So, so we said no to God. God said yes. And God opened the church. And it's a long story. It's a very long story. So we start serving among the Muslims all of a sudden and, and, and having them. So your, your question was, how is it to lead? Yeah. So let, so, me, let me just say, I had to give that background. Look, from one day to the next, our world changed. For one day, I was not allowed to go to a Muslim house. I was never allowed to have a Muslim friend. My dad hit me, spanked me in the face because I was talking to a Muslim girl. They were not allowed to come into our home. We were not allowed to go into their homes. I went to Catholic school. So no interaction. Now the Muslims come not into my house, but into my church, which is even holier. So in one day, our world turned around. So we learned one thing. We need to be adaptable. We need to be dependable. We need to be flexible. We had to be depending on God and not holding on to tradition. We tried. We used to have women sitting on one side, men on the other side. We had very clear way of how church would work and the meetings and everything. You can forget all that. So on a weekly basis, God was challenging us to change, to move, to adapt, to do things differently and not to hold on to tradition. I think that's one of the things that we had to just step aside and say, okay, we're going to do things different. Lord, what do you want? What hour should our Sunday start? What hour should music start? Oh gosh, we had... All right, done. Go, go, go. Um, So... That sounds like amazing, like God was doing amazing things. Yeah. But I know because I've heard your story, um, kind of what happened next? Was it all yeah. plain sailing? Yeah. How was it being in a Muslim country as yeah. for your parents as church leaders? Right. What happened? So we had, we had thousands of people coming to the church. We had a um, Christmas celebration where 3,000 people came to the church. And we, in, in our church, we had 700 seats. So 1,000 people in the church, uh, many are standings, and over 1,000 people on the streets waiting for the second session to start. So uh, our, our neighbors and, and police started calling and saying, well, is this a Christian country or a Muslim country? Um, during that service, we had spies in the church, and my brother's best friend was a spy. So he called us, and he said, look, I'm a spy, I'm, da, 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 I'm sorry, I'm, I love you, all that. Police is coming, and they're going to take all the ID cards of people who are going to go on the stage and do the Christmas celebration. So please don't. I'm telling you, and I'm really sorry for what I've done. So we went, and we told our team, our, 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 um, I, I have actually a picture I could show you. Uh, we, we told all the choir team, said, guys, I'm sorry, you can't sing anymore. And we prayed together, and they told, they, they took their ID card. They went to the police. They gave their ID cards to the police, came back to us and said, who are you to tell us we cannot worship our God? This is our God. This is our ID card. Go for it. We worshipped. We did Christmas, and that was the last Christmas. In 2009, the police closed down our church. 
And it was a horrible experience. It was devastating to, to walk outside of the church on Monday morning at 7 o'clock, thinking, okay, God, it was your work. What are you doing now? What happened now? Um, one thing, when, when, when we had to leave the church, we went inside, and they, they told us this, either keep the church, but only for the Assyrians, or give up the church. So we prayed over it, and we, we asked God, Lord, what should we do? Should we keep the building, or should we lose the building? And as we, as we walked out, my dad went to the surgeons, this uh, um, intelligent officer, and he took the, the bunch of keys from the church, put it in his hand, and we all were crying. He was crying. But he said, thank you so much for closing down our building. You have done us a great favor. I don't know how to thank you. Thank you. And the man looked at him like, why? Why are you thanking me? And I said, we, we were praying, praying, and God told us during the prayer, let them close down these doors because I'm going to open the gates of heaven. And let them arrest you, and they will arrest you. I will raise hundreds of men and women who will shout hallelujah on the streets of Iran. I can't tell you the hallelujah story. No, but go, go, go on. Ask me your next question. Next, oh, um, so in terms of you personally, um, how has your, kind of what, what opposition have you faced personally for being a Christian in Iran? Because... Um, and then, the, like, how did you, did your faith waver as persecution came? Or did it, or what, what happened? So I was eight years old when my teacher came to school and said, Debrina, your dad is dead. Like that. Okay. So get, got me in a taxi. Um, taxi drove me home thinking my dad is dead. Got home. My mom is crying, packing suitcases. And my dad was missing, and another pastor was dead, was killed. So we had to go to Tehran to, to get that other pastor's body released, corpse re released. We didn't know where my dad is, so we had to still go and look for his corpse, thinking he's dead as well. He came back. He was released from interrogation, but other pastors were killed. On that day, we had to make a choice. I remember my dad, my parents did very well. I have to give them credit. They got me and my brother and said, look, guys, many pastors left the country. We decided to stay. We prayed over it. We decided to stay. They said, look, we are called to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will be your face persecution. And that's what the Bible says. You will be persecuted. The world will hate you. Whether you're Iran or you're in England, the world hates you. The world does not agree with your values. Our values, our moral values are not the same anymore. They will never be. That's okay. The world will hate us. The world will persecute us. And if we are followers of Jesus, we will be persecuted. It's not because we are bad people. So they explained that and we agreed this is the way we are going together. We agreed as a family, whatever we do, we do it together. And it's okay if mom and dad die. It's okay if me and my brother die. We're not going to get mad at God. And I had to learn not to get mad at God and not to question God because that's his promise. And if I live my life as a Christian, that's what's going to happen. That's okay. So I think throughout that hold my faith, when I was in prison, I not once questioned why am I in prison. It was tough. It was hard. I was being interrogated on a regular basis, and there was always a good cop and a bad cop. Um, and once I was 
I was praying um, in, in prison. I'm just telling a lot of stories. I was praying in prison, and the bad cop came in and saw me praying, and, and he got really honest with me. I said, yeah, and uh, I was kept in a male detention center, center where they would um, torture people. So I was in a room, but every time that I went to go to, to the toilet or the shower, which was open toilet and shower, I would look at how they are torturing people. And now these people would shout and beg them to stop. And at first I say, if you believe in God, for God's sake, please stop. Now that man came into my room and he said, can you hear them shouting in God's name? Yeah, of course I can. And then he said, do you think it's easy for me? Um, I, those voices are in my head 24-7. I sleep with those voices. I get up with those voices. I pray to God. I have family. I have children. Do you think this is easy for me? Before that, I was praying this prayer Please, Lord, free me. Please let me out. Please save me. And as he was talking to me, God started to talk. And he said, Debrina, stop praying for your salvation. Stop asking me to free you. Woman, you're free. That man is not free. You're saved. He is a slave. Stop praying for yourself and stop praying for him. And that just twisted my perspective on persecutions like I hated his gods I didn't want to pray for him but at that moment I felt that compassion that God has for people who are not saved and these are things that just build your faith and, and yeah yeah go don't stop the top um that's amazing so um what do you do now because you don't you no longer live in Iran yeah but what so what, what do you do now? Where are you based? So I'm based in Switzerland. We are looking for a youth pastor for my church. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, so I'm pastoring a Swiss evangelical church. It's a relatively big church in Zurich. Um, so I'm one of the three pastors. We have a youth pastor who is um, going to take part of my, my job, uh, hopefully soon, because I'm, I'm burning um, I'm doing a lot of work. So please, we need, we need a pastor, even if you speak English. I uh, would love to hire you if anybody wants employment. Uh, yeah, so I'm a pastor, but I'm also a consultant to Swiss government on the refugee cases. So we work on Christian refugee cases, and I, um, I consult refugees on, on various cases. So I do these two jobs, plus everything else, yeah. How much time do you have left, Alison? Done. Okay. No, no, we're not done. We're not done. Okay. Is it done? Uh, yes. Cool. Yeah. Okay. It's done. Can I just ask one more question? Yeah. Very brief, though. So, um. So, um. Sorry. One, one final thing. One final message. As as a Christian who's grown up in a country where there's persecution, what is the persecuted church saying to us? What What do they want us to know as Christians living? Um, in a country where we don't face um, much persecution at all, what are what what's their message for us? The, I know you shared a lot about that then already, but just I always tell stories from Iran because I know stories will strengthen your faith. Stories build faith. That's why I love telling stories. But those people who are persecuted in Iran, they have story to tell you, so that your faith may be strengthened. You who are not persecuted, you have a free you know, opportunity to use your free voice to pray. Your prayers 
strengthen them. Use your voice. Use every platform you have, social media, whatever, to raise their voice, to share their stories, to what's happening. And above all, pray. Your prayers are heard. People who are in prison, every person who has been in prison told me, we had a vision of people praying for us. We've seen people praying. We heard people praying for us. So we've been praying here, and they can hear how you're praying for them. Every single person, myself, my parents who've been to prison, my brother, my friends, we all have seen a vision or have heard other people praying for us. Don't take that for granted. I will tell you a story so that you go on and you be zealous. I love this British word. Just have zeal, passion for Jesus. And don't take your faith, yeah, your freedom for granted. Brilliant. Thank right. you so much. Right. Thank you. I just wondered if you could give us the timeline, because obviously in 1979, things changed radically. Yes. With the Shah being deposed and the Ayatollahs coming in. So the narratives that you've been telling, how do they That's fit right. into that major watershed? Yes, the first 10 years, the first decade, when the two presidents, Mosavi and um, Rafsanjani, took over were the dark side. That was the time that we know of 10 pastors and church leaders, but there's so many more pastors, leaders who, who passed away, were killed, uh, people that we, we have no idea were killed during that time. Um, so that was right after the revolution where the killing started and church was under persecution, massive control. Then during the Khatami's presidential, as soon as the Khatami, Khatami is from the I don't know, right line, uh, wings, uh, so he's from the correction wings, we call them, uh, who brought more freedom to the country. During that eight years, uh, the churches had more freedom so there was still persecution. There was still questioning interrogations. My father would be interrogated on a regular basis. We had to provide the government with uh, reports and, and specific information they needed from the church. But in, during that time, we had more freedom. Uh, we were allowed always to speak in Farsi. We were allowed to allow Muslims inside of the church. We were not allowed to evangelize. But if they would come to the church and ask us questions, is a to them is not, and then we can answer. Um, and it is legally allowed, legally on paper, to convert from Islam to Christianity. Is legal, according to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and ICCPR uh, covenant, to change your faith and to share your faith. It's legal. So we did not do anything legal. And during the Ahmadinejad's second election in 2009, where the Green Movement started, that's when they decided, no, we don't like this. We don't like the fact that the church is growing. We are losing control. Christians, Christianity, and Iran has the highest Christian number in Middle East. Iran is the first country with the highest converts. And that would mean the regime is losing control. Islam is a means of control, means of fear. So they're losing that control. That's why they, they, they changed all that. So they started closing our church and then all our other Protestant churches, churches that were practicing faith. So by 2014, all evangelical Protestant churches are closed now. Make sense?
pray the most um, for your brothers and sisters um, and also yeah. for yourself? Um, I think that what Ron shared, when you're in prison, the best thing that happens to you is to feel useful. You have a ministry. Very often we don't pray for them to get out of prison. We don't pray for persecution to stop. We pray that God will give them opportunities to be witness. And, and we had a, a guy, so I'm a I'm Christian, so I have a Christian name. On my ID card, it says that I'm a Christian. So if, if, I, if I'm speaking to Iranian, they're like, oh, you're not Iranian. No, I'm a Christian. Um, so we met a guy, a taxi driver, and we told him our name and we got into a conversation. I said, oh, yeah, you're a Christian. I said, yeah, you're a Christian. He said, I'm a Christian too. I said, oh, okay, where did you, how did you become a Christian? In prison. In prison. I was in prison. There's so many of you in prison. Um, so the same story as Ron said for being a solitary confinement, we had people, so my, my church members were in Iran, were arrested, they were all in solitary confinement, and they could sing, they could do worship, and because you can hear each other, so they would do worship the whole time in a solitary confinement, and they don't have anywhere else to put them. Um, when my father was in prison, and before he came out, it was like this, uh, if you're being released, they would stand on the sides and they would say, like, yeah, the, this Muslim um, chanting Muslim words. I don't want to chant them. Uh, they, they would say those those words. And when my father was coming out, they were standing on two sides saying, hallelujah, 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 as he got out of prison. Um, so prison is the best, the best place to evangelize. Um, should I tell you one story? So a guy, just one part of his testimony. So he was in prison for a long time. They put him in a, in a cell with 50 other prisoners who were going to be executed. They, they would be killed. So when he went to that place, he knew, um, they're going to kill me. I mean, I'm, among everybody else is going to be executed. So everybody got some time in a year, in two years, in three years, or whatever. And once you know you're, ex you're going to be executed, you're done. You are hopeless, you are in depression, you are aggressive, you have nothing else to lose. It's a horrible place to be among people who, are, who know that's the deadline. So he was there and he said to me, um, Debrina, I, I just, I was praying, I told God that I'm not going to talk to anybody, I'll mind my business. I, if I open my, my mouth, they're going to kill me, they don't care. So he was one week in that place. One morning, he wakes up, and 10 other prisoners are standing above him, observing him. He opens his eyes, and he was like, I was terrified. I told him, look, I don't want a problem with you. I don't want to fight with you. Please, let me be alone. I'm minding my business. Please, let's not get into a fight. And I said, we we're not going to beat you if you tell us who you are and what's that white thing on you. Well, what white thing? They say every night when you go to sleep, there's white ball of light comes over you the whole night until you wake up. We've been observing you for a whole week now. What's that? And he couldn't believe it. So I was like, no, can you believe that? I was like, oh, I don't know. So he was like asking them questions. And then he said, look, we believe Jesus is the light. He is our protector. He's the light of the word. He is the word of God who brings light into our lives. So he said the story of Christ to them. And they said, well, how can we have it? 
So, well, give your life to Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Well, pray this prayer with me. So then he told them, they became Christian. So then he told them, you're not allowed to tell anybody that you're Christian. Otherwise, they will kill me for sure. So, okay, they promised I'll not share with that with anybody. And then a few weeks later, they have every day this special control. So they, you know, you control their staff. There's a normal procedure. So the soldiers come in, they control the prisoners, and they stop with this one prisoner. The soldier asks him, what's wrong with you? And the man says, nothing, I'm doing well. So yeah, that's the problem, you're doing well. You have been taking drugs because your, um, your eyes are not baggy. You look much healthier. You're smiling. You're doing good. That means you're taking drugs. Where do you get the, your drugs? And I was like, no, I promise I'm not taking drugs. And he was like, he was sleeping better. He was doing so much better. So they throw his bed. They, they opened the bed. They searched all his clothes. They destroyed his stuff. They put him under pressure because they were like, you are taking drugs. You can never look like that if you're not using drugs. And we're going to find him. We're going to put you in solitary confinement. And they were like threatening him. And at some point, he shouted, I'm not taking drugs. I believe in Jesus. I can sleep. And of course, they look at Joe, our friend. We call him Joe. His name is not Joe. And they're like, did you do that? And I said, okay, I'm dead. They take him out. I said, what did you do? He tells them the story. And they said, so can you do that, what you did with him, with everybody else as well? Well, they all look like this. Joe says, give me every day two hours, whiteboard, and I'll do that with everybody else. They told him, you're not allowed to mention the name of Jesus. Do whatever you want. So, okay, it's fair enough. I'm not going to mention the name of Jesus. That's the son of God. So he preached in the name of son of God. There's a song we have. Father God, I wonder how I managed to exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving. So this song doesn't mention the name of Jesus. So what he does, he wrote it down. They sang the song every day from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. He went through the Bible stories of how Moses was a murderer. He killed someone and how he met God and God forgave him. How David broke law. And this is a lot for a Muslim because imams, prophets, they are sinless. They are holy. So he goes through. They made mistakes, but they turned to God and he forgave them. And he called them and he saved them and he redeemed them. All of them became Christian. He left prison giving another man, that same guy, all his notes, Bible verses, all the texts. And say, you do the worship, you do the teaching, you do this and that. Still doing it. So, so this, this, yeah, it's part of the stories of how, 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 what would you pray for those in prison? When my brother was there, when my dad was there, that was my prayer for him. Like, Lord, help him meet people. Help him talk because I know that he will feel useful. He will feel calm. He will feel calm. And, and this is amazing. Once, once you're in that position where you just share and you see people saved. So please pray for that. That they're not alone um, and, and they can share, they can talk, and that, that just get them going. Yeah, thank you for the question. All right, there you go. Any more time? One more question. I think someone had a question over there. Anyone? 
You're good. Anyone left? No. Or one question over there. Brilliant. Sorry, Alison. Um, my last question is for us, for a young people who don't live in the persecuted church, like who don't have that same level of, uh, I would say, experience of revival as a result, what would be your message? We learn from you as well. So I, um, I'm in awe of, of, of my youth, of you, of... Um, being free and not being at bars and clubs. I mean, why would you on earth come to a theology school? You're in a free country. We didn't have a choice. We had to. I, I grew up in this family and I was like, I had no other choice. We didn't have church ministers. I had to become a minister. But you choose. You're free. And this is something most of us are in awe of. You can drink alcohol. We couldn't. We can party. We couldn't. We didn't have bars, clubs. We didn't have discos. We, didn't, we, 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 we couldn't do things. You can, but you, you choose. Keep making these choices. Keep on making choices. Keep on being faithful. You are amazing. I'm in awe of young people in a free country going to theology universe. Like, why? You can do so much more. I know, of course, it's amazing, it's amazing you do that. Uh, people ask me, I was like, oh, Debrina, what do you do? I'm a pastor, and I was in a bank, and, and the woman was like, what do you do? What's your job? I'm a pastor, and she looked like, but you're beautiful. <laughs> you can do so much more with your life. Um, that's how I feel with you. Like, you know, you're amazing, but you have chosen to serve the Lord. You, you're walking in obedience, this is amazing. You can be proud of yourself for being here. We honor that. We respect that. We look up to you. People in my country, they look up to you. Because you do that from your own choice. We didn't get that. So honestly, I want to encourage you. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for serving. Thank you for taking your time to do this. Or you can make money or do something else. Um, so this is amazing. Make these deliberate choices every day. Um, and honestly, I believe God is doing amazing in Europe. And persecution is here in, in different ways. You are being persecuted in different ways. And to be honest, this is harder than in Iran. This is so much harder. Iran is easy. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. No, no, I'm not kidding. I would, I would go back in Iran every day and be persecuted, then struggle with my faith in Europe. It's so much more difficult. So well done for what you're doing. You're a role model to many Iranians. Well done. Keep going. Keep doing. And God is building on you. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LSD and our courses, please visit our website 